0: Well, good evening. How's everyone doing? You guys doing all right? It's cold outside, so I'm kind of dressing. <laughs> yeah. Isn't it funny, though? As soon as some clouds come come up over Southern California, and we're like, all right, Paul, Paul's here. Put out the pumpkins, put on the flannels. <laughs> yeah. And Chimney's on right now. I'm just kidding, it's not. (laughs) All right, so we are in our last study in the book of Deuteronomy, and so we're covering this evening chapters 33 and 34. Uh, We see um, Moses' blessing of Israel, and uh, then in chapter 34, we're going to see how how it was that the that Moses went up on Mount Nebo, and that is where he died. And um, so we're going to go over all of that and, um, you know, just so much to glean from this evening's study. And so let's go before the Lord, ask him to bless our time and we'll get into our study. Heavenly Father, we thank you once more uh, for your word. We ask, Father, that uh, you would help us, Lord, to not be distracted, to be completely focused on what you have for us today, this evening, Lord. And I pray, Lord, that we would continue to glean from your word. And uh, in that we would allow it to penetrate our hearts, and Lord, to not be um, uh, stiff necked as, um, as the people of Israel we have come to know that they were, as they were wandering out in the wilderness, uh, a stubborn people, prideful, and, and uh, just sometimes uh, murmuring and complaining about things that really uh, shouldn't be complained about. So, Lord, help us to be thankful. Help us to look to you for everything that pertains to life and godliness. And I pray this evening that uh, your word, again, penetrates our hearts. And uh, and you do the work, Lord, that you have intended for your word to do in our lives. To your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we've come to the end of the law of Moses. And it's, take, it's taken us four years and one month to get through... Five books, the first five books <laughs> of the Bible. We started actually four, year, four years ago, a month ago on September 10, or 9th, or ninth, two thousand fourteen, and so on Wednesday nights to we go through our study. If you can believe that we've already gone through four years of, of studying God's Word on Wednesday nights, and uh, and we've gone through the first five books. So <clears throat> stick around for another twenty years, and we should get through the rest of the Old Testament. <laughs> uh, and then on, but on Sundays. So, on Sundays, we've gone through a a lot, a big portion of the New Testament, as well as some parts of the Old Testament, and that's been in the last eight and a half years. In fact, today, I was trying to um, look for, there's there's this one picture that I have of Pastor Chuck Smith and myself, and I was at a conference, I forget the year, I think it was uh, 2012, I want to say, that I was at this conference um, in Murrieta. And um, because today is five years, his five-year anniversary from, the, from the, you know, the day that he went home to be with the Lord. And so I, I could, just couldn't find it. So in looking for those pictures, though, I, was, uh, I came across some pictures. And I actually reposted a picture of Isaiah sweeping right over there in uh, what was the warehouse right here. And here we are um, a few years later. And I'm just totally blessed. I'm, I'm thinking about how it was and how it is that the Lord has provided for us and how it is that um, there has been so much. I was thinking about everything. I can't think of everything, but most of the things that have taken place in the way people's lives have been impacted by the ministry called Refuge, this family here. And so I've just thinking, been thinking about just God's provision, his blessings. Um, he's abundantly blessed us beyond um, imagination, and um, so it's just a blessing, and, and this is not unlike any other Wednesday. We're here simply to go through God's Word and allow Him to continue doing the work that He desires to do in our hearts, you know, to, to learn how to walk um, abiding in the Lord and walking by the Spirit and not according to the flesh, to grow in uh, our spiritual strength and our spiritual wisdom as we continue to expectantly wait for the return of our Lord Jesus Christ. So tonight we'll be going over Deuteronomy 33 and 34. Moses' blessing on Israel and his death atop Mount Nebo in the plains of Moab. So let's start out, uh, chapter 33, verse 1. This is the blessing with which Moses, the man of God, blessed the people of Israel before his death. And before we go into his blessing of each and every tribe, I want to make a few comments here um, on Moses. Moses, and I would say Moses the shepherd. Here was a man whose life had been spared divinely, brought up in Pharaoh's palace. And I say spared divinely because you know that his mom had put him in this basket and had him go down the river, and it was his sister who uh, went and, and, uh, and, and asked uh, Pharaoh's daughter if... Uh, as she, if she wanted her to go get someone to nurse the child that she had found. And so uh, Moses was spared divinely and was brought up for this very purpose that we've been studying all of these Wednesdays. And so here was a man. He, he was spared divinely, brought up in Pharaoh's palace for the first 40 years of his life, spent the next 40 years in the wilderness tending to his father-in-law's flock, and the last 40 years of his life, leading Israel out from under slavery in Egypt and in the wilderness, receiving the law, and leading, a, as I said in the prayer, a stiff-necked people to the promised land he would never step foot in. All that. And, and so much in between. And that's what we've gone over. Through it all, Moses was a shepherd to the people. And his heart was exposed. This uh, exposed in, in this very blessing as he couldn't help himself coming at the end of his life to bless the people as he knew it was his last moments on earth. With all of their faults, he loved on the people and served them under the direction of the Lord for these 40 years. Moses knew this was all coming to a close, and it was a bittersweet for him. It was a bittersweet moment, leaving the people and not stepping one foot into the promised land, but then again, being gathered unto the Lord for all eternity. So, in one sense, to know nothing but what we know on earth it is—it's bittersweet. You know, you know you're going into the glory of God. You're going into His presence, and yet at the same time, you think, "Man, I'm gonna miss everyone." And I'm not going into the Promised Land. And so there was this moment for for Moses. But then he blesses the people in verse 2 as we continue. He begins by saying, The Lord came from Sinai and dawned from Seir upon us. He shone forth from Mount Paran. He came from the ten thousands of holy ones with flaming fire at his right hand. Yes, he loved his people. All his holy ones were in his hand. So they followed in your steps, receiving direction from you when Moses commanded us a law. As a possession for the assembly of Jacob, thus the Lord became king in Jeshurun, when the heads of the people were gathered, all the tribes of Israel together. So he begins with this statement, this introduction to the blessing, uh, to the blessings which he's going to be uh, proclaiming on all the tribes of Israel. Our glorious God was revealed to Israel, and he displayed his love for his chosen people in so many ways. As God came to Israel, He dawned upon Israel from the hills and shone forth Himself from above to Israel. God came forth with the fiery law. God revealed Himself to His people and gave them the law, and He loved them as His possession, as His chosen people, and became to this people Israel their king when all had come together. Moses was describing the glory of God as He was revealed to Israel and as they were chosen by Him. God would become their king as He gave them the law by which they were to abide as His people. Giving them instruction, rules and the law upon which they are to walk in and be protected by and instructed in and be corrected. And so they demonstrated to him that he indeed was their king, as they would abide in his law. Just as we today demonstrate that we are God's people by abiding in the word, allowing ourselves to be governed by his word. With this introduction, Moses blessed the individual tribes, as we'll begin now to look over. Verse 6 is Reuben, the tribe of Reuben. He said, let Reuben live and not die, but let his men be few. Very short blessing, right? Nonetheless, it was a blessing that spoke of the tribe of Reuben never coming to an end. And at the same time, not being a tribe that was ever enlarged greatly. You're not going to come to an end, but at the same time, you're not going to be great in number either, but rather remain small. From what we know, the tribe of Reuben never did get large. And there was no prophet, there was no judge, there was no king that came from this tribe. And so it was, you know, just because, and here's the thing, sometimes, you know, especially in our day and age, the day and age in which we live in, a bigger house, uh, more cars, more toys, uh, bigger bank accounts, so on and so forth, more letters behind your name, all signifies more success, right? Right? That's the way the world sees it. But in, in the Lord's eyes, really quite simply it's this for us to be faithful to what he has entrusted to us. Whether we see it or the world sees it big or small, it really is of no significance whatsoever to the Lord. It's simply whatever I've entrusted to you, be faithful with that. And with Reuben, we see here the tribe of Reuben, even with this blessing, it's like no no problem. Small or large. This is the blessing that came upon Reuben. And and through all of this, just know this that these were still the tribes of Israel. These were still God's chosen people. Through all their faults, through everything, they were still God's chosen people. So there's Reuben, and then we go on to the tribe of Judah, which is verse seven. And this he said of Judah, Hear, O Lord, the voice of Judah, and bring him into his people. With your hands, contend for him, and be a help against his adversaries. Um, do you guys know what Judah means? No? Oh, good. So I can tell you what I mean. It means praise. Judah means praise. So if, if you read this, I, I love this because if we read... The first part again with this in mind, then we can read it in this way Hear, O Lord, the voice of praise. And if you continue, then you can bring praise into God's people. And Moses is asking that God would contend to maintain the praises of his people and guard against anything that comes against that hard heart of praise within his people. And this is something that we ourselves need to stand guard. Against Anything that would come against the praise that is due to our God and our Lord to stand guard. But Moses is asking the Lord to stand guard over his people, Judah. Psalm 22.3 says, Yet you are wholly enthroned on the praises of Israel. You, God inhabits the praises of his people. God occupies that place of being enthroned before and among his people when we give him his due praise. When we started out, that's why worship is so important. That is the musical side of it, um, how it is that we prepare for this uh, continued giving uh, of praise to God and the teaching of God's word, the proclamation of his word. Um, We're giving the Lord his due praise and the word tells us that he, he inhabits the praises of his people. He's among us. He's receiving that praise. That worship given to him. And it, and it sets our hearts right. You know, when, when we begin by praising and worshiping the Lord, it just sets our heart right before him. I was thinking of the word Jeshurun, which is identified with Israel. And we'll look at it this evening, which means the upright one. And in the Lord, we are upright before Him. We should know that. And so, as we come to Him, we ask Him for forgiveness. Ask Him to to set our hearts right. That He would be given His due praise without any kind of issue on our part. Because of sin. And so... We come to Him with hearts of praise and being thankful to Him. I find it interesting that Jacob had blessed Judah and said, The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet. That's found in Genesis chapter 49, verse 10. God's praise would be fulfilled and fully known through Judah to the Messiah as he would rule eternally and be praised by every tongue, confessing that he is Lord. And thus the Lord would contend for and sustain Judah through the fulfillment of the coming Messiah. And then we have the tribe of Levi, verse 9. Or I'm sorry, 8. And of Levi he said, Give to Levi your Thummim and your Urim to your godly one, whom you tested at Massa and Whom you quarreled at the waters of Meribah, who said of his father and mother, I regard them not. He disowned his brothers and ignored his children, for they observed your word and kept your covenant. They shall teach Jacob your rules and Israel your law. They shall put incense before you and whole burnt offerings on your altar. Bless, O Lord, his substance and accept the work of his hands. Crush the loins of his adversaries, of those who hate him that rise that they rise not again Moses himself was a levite Exodus chapter 2 verses 1 and 2 give us that information that he was the son of both a, a levite dad and a levite uh, mom And the Levites were chosen by God from among the tribes of Israel to serve the Lord. They were called out to protect the word, serve the word, and teach the word to the people of God. Moses was praying this blessing over the Levites that God would protect them and bless their work as they served him in a manner in which he had established for them to serve him. The impact of their service would be unfathomable in the lives of the Israelites as they were to serve the Lord with utmost integrity toward the law and and the maintaining of a sound service or a sound work unto the Lord according to the Word of God. They were to be very careful to not do things the way they wanted to do them if it was in opposition to or not in line with the word, but exactly the way they were instructed to do so, by the word that they may represent the Lord soundly, uniformly, and consistently to the people. In other words, no matter what Levitical priest was serving the Lord at any given time, there should be no distinction, it should be the same thing every single time. This means that the individual would not think of anything but the Lord. Not himself, not other people, not the opinions of other people. But all the glory would be God's as they served him rightly with spiritual integrity to the way in which God had ordained for them to do so. Luke 14.26 says, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. The Lord said also in Matthew chapter 10, verses 34 through 37, Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father, and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Whoever loves his father or mother more than me is not worthy of me, and whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. When Moses had referred to the Levites in verse 9 and said, I regard them not, he disowned his brothers and ignored his children, for they observed your word and kept your covenant. This is what I'm referring to here, is that they were willing to forsake all in order to serve the Lord as they were called to. It was uh, the Apostle Peter that uh, you remember the conversation between the rich young ruler and, and Jesus, and um, there was a, a a part in that conversation to where that came to a conclusion. But then his disciples were asking him, "Well, well, who then can can enter the kingdom of heaven? Who then can be saved?" You know, and he said, "Well, you know, with men this is impossible, but with God all things are possible." And then Peter, of course, he says, well, look, we've left all to follow you. What what do we get? All right, and I'm paraphrasing. And the Lord went on from there and he says this in verse 29 of Matthew 19. He says, And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or lands for my name's sake will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. In other words... In comparison to our love for God, our love for our wives or our husbands, children, brothers, so on and so forth, should look like hatred. And sometimes that that would well that would be the most difficult thing to do at the same time. You know, are willing are we willing to sometimes Uh, When necessary, separate from family for the sake of following and abiding in the Lord. And we need to come to a point to where we realize a love for God is deeper than our love for even our closest family members. Hoping and praying for them that they too one day would come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ themselves. The point of being willing to leave all for the sake of Christ is that we love Him more than anyone or even our own lives. And that is what we saw, even in those who were serving God as the chosen Levites were doing. They wouldn't compromise their calling or following of the Lord for anyone, including their family. And that's what Moses was pointing out here. Let's move on to the tribe of Benjamin. In verse 12, Of Benjamin, he said, The beloved of the Lord dwells in safety. The high God surrounds him all day long and dwells between his shoulders. Talk about uh, a description of intimacy. In our men's study in Joshua, we were reminded that Jerusalem was a Benjamite city that became the center of the nation of Israel. The tribe of Benjamin was blessed by Jacob and described as being a ravenous wolf, fierce and not afraid of battle, and yet beloved by God and given a place of safety and covering that was described by Moses as the place between his shoulders. Uh, He gave me the picture of a son or a daughter perched up on the shoulders of dad, walking around. I mean, there, there's not much more intimacy that can be enjoyed between a child and a, and a father. I, I, I say for myself, I mean, I, I think about those times. Now, if my boys were to climb on my shoulders, I'd probably go down. But, but just a, a wonderful picture of, of intimacy. Carried by God, protected by God, and is a place of inti- intimacy and help that is found in the hands of God. And oh, that we would be a fearless people who understand that we too are between God's shoulders and are His beloved in Christ. First John 4.18 says, There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. It's like to know that we are in Christ... To know that he has loved us perfectly. And we have nothing to fear. Nothing to fear in this life. Is to come upon anything with a confidence that goes beyond understanding. We have a peace that really truly can and should. And we should allow to guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. There should be nothing that brings us to a place of trembling. Other than the fear of letting the Lord down and coming against him, but everything else, we should be as the Benjamite, fierce and ready to go into battle at a given note, at any given notice. And so we see that and still we see this intimacy that the Benjamites uh, were enjoying and would continue to enjoy as Moses gave this blessing and uh, the Benjamites truly enjoyed. Now, with that, with the word that uh, John gave in First John four eighteen, in Christ we've been perfected in love and therefore should possess, again, a humble confidence in Him, understanding that we have absolutely nothing to fear as we are in Him. Now, the tribe of Joseph, verse 13, as we continue, And of Joseph, he said, Blessed by the Lord be his land, with the choicest gifts of heaven above, And of the deep that crouches beneath, with the choicest fruits of the sun and the rich yield of the months, with the finest produce of the ancient mountains and the abundance of the everlasting hills, with the best gifts of the earth and its fullness, and the favor of him who dwells in the bush. May these rest on the head of Joseph, on the pate of him who is prince among his brothers, a firstborn bull. He has majesty, and his horns are the horns of a wild ox. With them he shall gore the peoples, all of them, to the ends of the earth. They are the ten ten thousands of Ephraim, and they are the thousands of Manasseh. The tribe of Joseph consisted of these two sons of his, Ephraim and Manasseh. Overall, this speaks of great blessings for Joseph as seen in Manasseh and Ephraim, who were indeed large tribes and fruitful in many ways to possess majesty and be separate from his brothers. By the way, pate is the crown of one's head, and being the prince among his brothers means being separate from his brothers. And so that's what we see there and that's what that means. But what we see here is that the crown of majesty for Joseph was what was were all these blessings. That's what they should be seen as and that's what they were seen as, a favor that was bestowed upon him by the glory Uh, by the Lord and for His glory. Moses was petitioning the Lord for both fertility and productivity, for Joseph to receive the best of the land, and that Joseph would receive strength from the Lord, that he may even serve as a means of judgment to the nations, to the peoples around them. For us, may anything worthy of boasting about in our lives be to the glory of God in testifying all that all good gifts come from God. Now, we should always, if, if we're going to boast, if we're going to testify of anything good in our lives, we should give all the glory and, and give Him credit for everything. Because that's where it comes from. Anything that He provides, anything that is good, comes from Him. That we would um, boast about how it is that anything that we possess that's good be to the worship of our king and to his glory, the Lord Jesus Christ our God and so we know that joseph was was blessed and his sons uh, they were they were large in numbers and uh, everything was the finest for them now the tribes of Zebulun and Issachar verses eighteen and nineteen Says, and of Zebulun he said, Rejoice, Zebulun, in your going out, and Issachar in your tents. They shall call peoples to the mountain. They uh, There they offer right sacrifices, for they draw from the abundance of the seas and the hidden treasures of the sand. Um, by the way, these are the sixth and fifth sons of Jacob by Leah. Both Issachar and Zebulun were uh, close in proximity in the assignment of where they were in the promised land. In fact, they were in the region of of, uh, the Sea of Galilee. And uh, Moses was invoking upon them a joy and satisfaction in all that they undertook to do. Their worship in the mountains was referring to pre-temple times and how they would gather the people to worship and offer right sacrifices. And I was thinking about this, how it was that even for us today, that we... Would be joyful and have satisfaction in all that the Lord has for us to undertake, and that we would also gather God's people and encourage them to worship rightly, our Lord Jesus Christ. You know, uh, sometimes you know we get wrapped up in the everyday uh, work that we have before us, and sometimes um, we can be like the Israelites; we can complain and murmur. Um, you know, for any given reason, we can. And again, remember what I said earlier: how it was that the Lord provides for us everything that we have, every, everything that's good, yeah, the providing for our families through the work that we have before us, and oh, that we would have a joy and a satisfaction in all that we set our hand to do. Would be really our reasonable service unto the Lord um, to do so in a way that is fitting as a response to what He's given to us. It would be our spiritual worship. And also, I was thinking about this, that we would be a people that would gather God's people together. That we would be a people who encourage others to worship rightly before the Lord. That we would be those people. In Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 and 25, It says, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So we know that from these two verses, that it is the habit of some um, to sometimes, I guess even find it a chore, to come to church, you know, it's it's out of sense of... A sense of duty, you know, I, I come and, you know, I, I'm here. It's almost like checking off something that you feel you need to do. You come and, okay, so now I go home and I'm home. And, and it's like separate lives. And instead, we should really look forward to the fellowship of the believers. Coming together, and worshiping together, corporately, stirring each other up to love and good works. I've told you, I need you. I definitely need you. And we talked about it at our study here on, uh, on Monday, the men's study, how it was that it, it's critical for us to gather together and to be in fellowship, to sometimes lean on each other, sometimes cling to each other, you know, just to, to help us along in, in, in through things that are difficult in our lives, to be encouraged and reminded of the, of the Word of God, His truth, and, and how faithful He is. You know, and all the more as we see the day approaching. You know, the days are getting darker and we need to, in fact, gather, I think, closer together and do it often. And what encouragement. I I, I look forward to Wednesday nights. I look forward to any day that we are going to be in fellowship. Sundays, Wednesdays, Monday night with, with the men. We have Bible study. I look forward to those days. And I walk away just encouraged and stirred up and thankful that I was there. So that's those are the thoughts that I had as both Issachar and Zebulun were tribes that this blessing came upon them from Moses. As they were as Moses was invoking upon them that they would have joy and satisfaction in all that they undertook. And that, um, you know, they would bring people together to worship rightly before the Lord. And uh, then we have the tribe of Gad. Verse 20 says, And of Gad, he said, Blessed be he who enlarges Gad. Gad crouches like a lion. He tears off arm and scalp. He chose the best of the land for himself. For there a commander's portion was reserved, and he came with the heads of the people. With Israel he executed the justice of the Lord and his judgments for Israel. Um, What came to mind is beast mode. Um, You know, with with this tribe, the tribe of Gad. Gad was a tribe that, that furnished King David, by the way, with the best of the warriors. The tribe of Gad. That's where the best came from. We know that it is with ferocity that a lion defends himself, tearing to shreds anyone who dares to come against him. This may be defensively speaking, but will also prove to be an offense. In many instances in the life of the tribe of Gad. I am. um, I love the fact that God puts together all kinds of different people, even within our midst, even within this fellowship. Some extremely gentle in spirit and just um, just a softness. And in others, there is that. But then there is this like there's. A ferocity, <laughs> an appreciated ferocity, um, one that is always vigilant and looking for anything that could come against the people of God in the church itself. I love that. I, I love that. And so many different people in different areas within the body. I, all of that needs to be embraced. For us, as we see this, this tribe How was that they were described here and the blessing that Moses was proclaiming on them and invoking from God? It's like, wow, this is amazing. And how was that? Like I said, like I pointed out, King David, this is where he got the fiercest warriors from, from this tribe. And they served the Lord in this manner. I was thinking also of Ephesians chapter 6 how we are to put on the whole armor of God to be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might in order to withstand in the evil day in having done all to stand firm, according to Ephesians 6, verses 10 and 14. And you you can read that chapter, that portion, and how it is that um, time and time again, the life of a Christian is not one of sitting down and having everything perfect and... Having no battles whatsoever, there's plenty of battles. And so we need to be ready for them. Sometimes we go forth with the sword, with the sword of the Spirit, right? Which is the Word of God. And we go forth and, and, and we advance. And we cut through. At other times, they, it does serve as the shield of faith and so on and so forth. And it, it is a defensive to where we don't allow those fiery darts to break through. And so we need to understand that this, we should have a warrior mentality, understanding that the battle is before us. And the Lord has prepared us to be victorious in Him. We just need to be aware and be knowledgeable of how it is that we can and should be victorious in Him, conquering in Christ. And then the tribe of Dan, verse 22. And of Dan, he said, Dan is a lion's cub that leaps from Bashan. Uh, This is not really an encouraging blessing, by the way. (laughs) It's not complimentary to this tribe. This tribe actually is known to have introduced to the Israelites something horrible. Idolatry. And that's in Judges chapter 18, verse 30. Genesis 49, actually, uh, this is uh, uh, Jacob as he's... Um, proclaiming his blessing on all the tribes. Describes Dan as a snake by the roadside that bites the heel, heels of horses, causing the riders to buck, to be bucked off the back of the horses. So, not, not really a complimenting Dan. It seems like a very fitting description as they would be the source of leading God's people astray. And knocking them out of the place, uh, basically being uh, in the right place before the Lord or a right standing um, place before the Lord. And so, that was Dan though, and he was no doubt that, uh, I know that Moses was proclaiming these things um, by the very leading of God's spirit. This was God's spirit that was working through him to declare these things. So, nonetheless, Dan is a tribe of Jacob, of Israel, and they are a tribe or a tribe of people who were chosen by God. In Deuteronomy chapter, or uh, uh, verse 23 of chapter 33 here, as we continue, the tribe of Naphtali. Verse 23 says, And of Naphtali he said, O Naphtali, sated with favor and full of the blessing of the Lord, possess the lake and the south which means filled, quenched, stuffed with favor and with the blessing of the Lord. This tribe was located in the portion of the Sea of Galilee in which Jesus did much of his teaching and performed many of his miracles. Um, he conducted much of his ministry in this area. They were definitely satiated with favor and blessing of the Lord. To a fill, to overflowing. And so... We see that before us as well. The tribe of Asher, verses 24 and 25. And of Asher, he said, Most blessed of sons be Asher. Let him be the favorite of his brothers, and let him dip his foot in oil. Your bar shall be iron and bronze, and as your days, so shall your strength be. The tribe of Asher. Jacob had prophesied that Asher would be the source of delicacies fit for a king in Genesis 49, 20. Asher is uh, the word Asher is based on a root meaning happiness or blessedness, anointed with blessing like no other, and thus we have and let him dip his foot in oil. The tribe itself would be protected by the Lord and invincible. Their days and strength would indeed be great. And then we wrap up chapter 33, verse 26. says, There is none like God, O Jeshurun, who rides through the heavens to your help. Through the skies in his majesty, the eternal God is your dwelling place, and underneath are the everlasting arms. And he thrust out the enemy before you and said, destroy. So Israel lived in safety, Jacob lived alone, in a land of grain and wine, whose heavens drop down dew. Happy are you, O Israel, who is like you, a people saved by the Lord, the shield of your help and the sword of your triumph. Your enemies shall come fawning to you and you shall tread upon their backs. The blessing is concluded with these words that serve as a reminder of the glorious God of Israel, his faithfulness, his majesty, his protection, and his provision and strength that he has shown and will show on behalf of his people. The greatness of the God of Israel who will give them victory and they will triumph in their battles as their enemies will fall before them. Again, referring back to our study on Monday, Uh, we were talking about how it was that to walk in faith is to walk in that which God has declared. To know that everywhere where Joshua was to go, no enemy would be able to stand before him. They would all fall. They would all fall. And to walk in faith doesn't mean that, okay, Lord, you said that, so I'm going to sit here and just watch as my enemies fall before me. To walk in faith is to go forth and and confront those enemies and see the Lord hand them over to you just as he said he would. Because without faith, it's impossible to please God. And James tells us that faith without works is, is, dead, is dead. And so we demonstrate our faith by our works, by the very things that we do. Romans 8.31 says, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? In Romans 8.37, it says, No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. And then we have chapter 34, which let's read through this chapter, and we'll close. The death of Moses. Then Moses went up from the plains of Moab to Mount Nebo, to the top of Pisgah, which is opposite Jericho. And the Lord showed him all the land, Gilead as far as Dan, all Naphtali, the land of Ephraim and Manasseh, all the land of Judah as far as the western sea, the Negev and the plain that is the valley of Jericho, the city of palm trees as far as Zoar. And the Lord said to him, this is the land of which I swore to Abraham, to Isaac and to Jacob. I will give it to your offspring. I have let you see it with your eyes, but you shall not go over there. So Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in the land of Moab, according to the word of the Lord, and he buried him in the valley in the land of Moab, opposite Beth Peor. But no one knows the place of his burial to this day. Moses was one hundred and twenty years old when he died. His eye was undimmed and his vigor unabated. And the people of Israel wept for Moses in the plains of Moab thirty days. Then the days of weeping and mourning for Moses were ended. And Joshua, the son of Nun, was full of the spirit of wisdom, for Moses had laid his hands on him, so the people of Israel obeyed him and did as the Lord had commanded Moses. And there has not arisen a prophet since in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. None like him for all the signs and the wonders that the Lord sent him to do in the land of Egypt to Pharaoh and to all his servants and to all his land and for all the mighty power into all the great deeds of terror that Moses did in the sight of all Israel. So Moses climbed Mount Nebo, which is found found in the plains of Moab, and there God showed him from north to south in kind of a counterclockwise fashion all the promised land. He let him see it all, this panoramic view of the the land in which uh, the Lord was bringing his people into. He reminded Moses that he had promised this to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and would give it to his offspring. But for Moses, he would not be able to step one foot into the promised land. And so it was in this place that Moses died, having been shown the land and was buried by God in the plains, and no one knows, as we read there, exactly where Moses was laid to rest, buried by God. Can you imagine? I mean, the way, the way things are, we know that people would simply honor and praise and, and really turn Moses into an idol if they knew where he was. And God knows this all too well. He knows the hearts of people and our sinful nature. And I am so glad that no one knows the place where Moses is buried by God. 120 years old, though. And it says here that that his his eyes were good and strong, undimmed. Can you imagine? I mean, I I have to, I have these contacts in right now. It's monovision, and it's it's really odd. I'm trying to get used to it. You know, we, you have one that is for distance, and the other one for reading. So I don't know which one's which, but <laughs> you know. But can you imagine? 120 years old, and God took him on top of Mount Nebo, and showed him the promised land. And he saw it. He saw it all. Not only that, but his strength had not diminished in all those years. 120 years. God sustained Moses. But Moses, it was his day to go home. Truly to go home. And Moses was mourned for for 30 days by Israel in the plains of Moab. And then that was it. It was time to continue, to move on. They honored him. They mourned for him. No doubt they were missing Moses, but it was was time to continue on. We read here how Joshua was full of the spirit of wisdom and the people obeyed him. They received Joshua as their new leader, just as Moses had laid his hands on him, transferred that leadership to him as God had ordained him as one, the one that would lead the Israelites across and into the promised land. But Moses continued to be described after this as a man and a prophet of which there would be no one to compare him to or them to. There there was no one. No one that would ever be able to be compared to Moses. Moses was a man whom the Lord knew face to face. And it was truly amazing how the Lord used him to do all these wonders. You know, going back to the time that he was in Egypt and the things that, that uh, was done through him. And it was just absolutely amazing. So there's no one, no one else like Moses. God had referred to Moses... Even after all of this, God would refer to Moses in a way that would fully envelop the person he was before the Lord. Completely just bring it all together. Look at verse 5. Just one more time. So Moses, the servant of the Lord. After all is said and done. After all is said and done you know um i don't think there's anything that could ever be said that would be more fitting for someone who truly knows the lord than to simply be considered a servant of the lord a servant of the lord a servant of the lord is the most honoring way in which he could have been described Because his life was all about honoring the Lord, however that might have been. Remember that Moses, he had to learn a lot. In fact, when he was first called on by God, he gave all kinds of excuses as to why it was that he, no, not me, I can't do it, I I don't have an eloquent speech, you know, and how are they going to believe me, you know, so on and so forth. And he made all kinds of excuses, and yet God used him. The First, he used Aaron, his brother, to be his mouthpiece, right? And yet he brought him through, and still he used him mightily. And he spoke to him face to face as a friend speaks to a friend. When Moses cried out to him, desiring to see his glory. Oh, you can't see my glory and live. But you can see the afterglow of my glory. Remember, he hit him in the cleft of the rock, and as he passed by, he just saw the the afterglow of God. Spoke to God as God revealed himself in the burning bush. Provided, as Moses led the Israelites through the wilderness, manna from heaven and water from the rock. Their shoes, their clothes, they, they didn't wear out. And just so much, so much he gave him the law, so much that the Lord did through him and in the man. And yet, at the very end, he considered him simply his servant, a servant of the Lord. In the end, all the previous accomplish, accomplishments were not noted other than what the Lord did in the life of Moses, other than that he served the Lord and did what he was commanded to do. That was simply what he did. And I pray that that would be said of us. That at the end, no matter if anyone else deems it great or not, it really doesn't matter. Just that of us, it'd be said that we are God's servants. And he will say of us, well done, good and faithful servant. That's what we want to hear. Don't we? We served him and we served him completely, rightly, soundly. And we represented him right. That's what we want. That's, I hope, what we desire to do. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for this time once more that you've given to us, Lord, to study your word. And we thank you, uh, Lord, for the example that we see in Moses, Lord, a servant of the Lord, your servant who continued to grow in his faith, Lord, as we see how it was that you built up this man, and built up his faith, demonstrating your power, your faithfulness in his life. I pray, Father, that you would do the same in ours. Lord, that we would acknowledge, Lord, the things that you are faithful in doing in our own lives, your provision, your protection, Lord, the, the abundant blessings that come our way in so many different uh, ways, Lord, and And, Lord, that we just acknowledge you in our lives. Most of all, we thank you for salvation. We thank you that you have demonstrated your own love toward us through Jesus Christ and his sacrifice for us and on our behalf. And as we cry out to him, Father, and Lord, and and did at one point, Lord, you were faithful in forgiving us of our sins And bringing us, embracing us, Lord, into your family. Knowing salvation in Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, we we ask, Father, that you would pour your spirit out upon us. That you would lead us and guide us and demonstrate your strength on our behalf. And, Lord, that we would always look to you. And we would be called servants, Father. We thank you, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.